Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 40. The word of God speaks to us. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to one another sitting there, let, them be, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy, one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning, everybody. You feel the weight of it too? I feel the weight of it. I'd just like the record to show that I got to preach um, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 on Mother's Day. And apparently I was not grateful enough for that passage because now I get to preach this on Father's Day. So it, 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 it comes back around, I guess. Uh, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even in the mood to joke about it because I'm eager for us to benefit from God's word here. I, I trust God's word and God has good gifts to give us in this passage. And, and I, I just wanna ask you to hang on with me for a second because there are good and right reasons why some of you are horrified when you hear this or this sounds like uh, a needle scratching across a record. I actually think God has way bigger gifts to give us in this than you might think um, or, or God's telling us something different than you might be inclined to believe or you might be afraid that this is saying. So let's, let's just submit ourselves to God's word and, uh, and ask him to speak. Let's pray together. You can pray for me as I pray for you. God, help us. On the day where we celebrate our natural fathers, we actually need your fatherly leadership. We need your authority. We need your strength. So we ask that you would come and father us. We don't just celebrate fathers in a nuclear family. We are your family. And so we get to live together as brothers and sisters. And we get to journey as a new family of God. Speak to us, help us learn, help us grow. Make our hearts receptive and hospitable to your word and give us faith and courage to respond to it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you're new with us or if you've been gone for a second, for nine of the last 10 weeks, 
We have been walking together through just these three chapters in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 12, 13, and 14, and we've been talking together about the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we haven't just been talking, we've been wrestling and people have been asking really good questions and people have been naming fears and we've searched the scriptures together. And from all the conversations I've had, we have grown. We've grown deeper. We've grown more confident in God's word. Some of you have taken steps where you're like, man, I used to believe this. Now I believe this. All of us have had to reckon with the world that we were raised in, whether we were raised outside the church or <clears throat> whatever family inside the church we were raised in. There's been growth and joy in the midst of this. And for those of you that got to participate in it, our community groups had the last three weeks of prayer ministry training, just in really practical, small, non-threatening ways, asking God together, how do we walk in these gifts together? How do we take these words and apply them? And now today we are ending this section. I mean, Paul's on the verge of closing this whole letter out. In chapter 15, he's going to move to talk about the resurrection of Jesus around which every single thing we do is built. And today, he closes our section of chapters 12 to 14 in a really abrupt way. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 26. He makes it clear that we're, we're, we're concluding a section. He says in verse 26, so what? What's the point? What's the deal? The, the what then, brothers, is him saying, all right, we've spent a lot of time talking about these gifts. What do we do? What, what's the point? How do we walk this out together in community? And what I love is if you look at verse 26, after his so what, he, he begins, and it's worth pausing, by telling us that when we come together, each one of us has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. That language there is basically Paul saying, hey, family, we need to understand that the gathering of the church is way more like a potluck where everybody's trying to bring something to bless others than it is a program that I come and sit and watch other people perform and then evaluate it. Paul actually functions from the assumption that we are coming together holding something to offer. Now, when we have a, a church of more than 15 people, that offering is probably going to be distributed one by one or personally face-to-face, -face, less from a podium. But Paul operates from the assumption that our gathering together is us collectively coming together as the family of God with gifts to give to the family of God to bless the family of God. I just wonder how your life would be reoriented Saturday night or Sunday morning if we viewed this time together as a potluck that we were expected to bring something to instead of a program that we were wondering what we could get out of it. Paul says, bring your gifts together when you gather. And the purpose for bringing the gifts, look at the second half of verse 26, is very clear. Let all things be done for building up. Paul says, everything that you do when you gather together, the purpose of it is the edification, the building up, the encouraging, the strengthening, the deepening of the body of Christ. Let everything you do be done for building up. 
This is Paul's main point for these closing verses. This is the big picture. This is the big idea. This is the E on the I chart. Every other thing Paul does in the verses we have this morning is an explanation of this singular idea. Paul is saying, hey, I need you to understand when you get to the practical outworking of the gifts among the people of God, the point is that everyone be built up. God is giving gifts to his family so that we would be strengthened, deepened, bolstered, built up. So if if you get confused as we walk through these verses, the place you come back to is verse 26b. That is the point that Paul's explaining. Let everything be done for the building up. But then he isolates and focuses on prophecy and tongues. Why? It's not because prophecy and tongues are more important than any of the other gifts. It's not. It's because prophecy and tongues are more prone to error, to misuse, to abuse. There's a greater propensity or greater opportunity for us with prophecy and tongues to use the gifts in such a way that contrary to their purpose, we actually divide the body, weaken the body, distract the body. And so Paul hones his energy in this so what conclusion to say, let me give you some focused energy for how you navigate in the body tongues and prophecy. So if you look, verses 27 and 28 are about how we avoid our susceptibility to confusion, for error, and for failure with tongues. And then verses 29 to 35 do the same thing with prophecy. So we're going we're to unpack, let everything you do be for building up with tongues and with prophecy. Let's start in verse 27 with tongues. Let everything you do be done for building up. And how do we do this with tongues? Paul tells us, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let some interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. If any speak in a tongue. That might be worth circling in your Bible. Because the Corinthians were disproportionately focused with, passionate about, zealous about tongue speaking. And I think it's worth noting that Paul tells them, hey, when you gather together, a message in tongues is not guaranteed. It's not something that's gonna happen all the time. He names a tongue, a message in tongues as a possibility, not even a probability. If a message in tongues comes, then he gives us a basic order. Only one or two, or at most three, and each in turn, one at a time. Now, what's important for us to know is Paul is offering the Corinthians a stark contrast for living together as the family of God in opposition to the ways they've learned throughout the pagan cults that were in Corinth. Because throughout Corinth, and let's be honest, even in our own day today, the goal in religious worship services was ecstasy. How can we get ourselves stirred up, riled up, where we exist in this ecstatic frenzy where everyone is speaking at the same time and we transcend normalcy and have some kind of out-of-body experience? 
You read philosophers, even Jewish theologians from that time, and people were saying what's happening is people were trying to get the crowd so stirred up that they had this moment of utter frenzy. And Paul says, no, no, no. The goal in tongue speaking when you gather is not ecstasy, it's edification. Therefore, instead of everyone speaking at the same time and we see how hype we can get the crowd as if it's some kind of Holy Ghost rave, Paul says, no, you're going to each go one at a time. And there's only two or at most three speakers. I mean, like we've seen um, not just like in the, in the religions in Corinth, but some of you were raised in Pentecostal churches where even in Jesus' name, this was the program and the pattern. We reached a place in the service where now we're gonna stir up the body and we're gonna try to see how much energy we can create in the body and then we're gonna rank the day by how much energy was produced. And Paul said, the goal isn't energy, the goal is edification. The goal is not ecstasy, the goal is edification. How can we steward what God supplies to us so that everyone is built up by it? And so Paul says, there is an order for things. And if someone were to pray publicly in tongues, because Paul's already said, hey, if you pray in tongues, that's fine. Do it privately and talk to yourself and God and edify yourself as you commune with God. But if God appoints a tongues message for the body corporately, then it has to be interpreted. Because someone can't just stand on stage and speak something to you that you don't understand in any way and you be edified by it. So Paul says, if there is to be a message spoken publicly, it must be interpreted. And if there's not an interpreter, Paul says, keep it to yourselves. Now, I want to be clear for a second of what the spiritual gift of interpretation is. Because this isn't like interpretation that you would see where someone translates a known human language into another known human language so that two people can communicate. That is interpretation. We see that happen all over the place, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a sense in which God gives to one of his children a divine message, a, a revelation for the people of God that's communicated in a language not understood by any present. And God supernaturally enables one to say, hey, I sense this is what God is saying to us from this message. And if you think back to Josh's sermon a few weeks ago on tongues, tongue speech is vertical in nature, not horizontal. So a message in tongues would be praise or focused intercession, not some kind of small sermonette of, hey, I think God's saying this to us. It would be praise, adoration, delight, joy in the person of God, or a focused kind of intercession. And Paul says, if there's no one to interpret, be quiet. Now, I've been in churches before where someone has taken the stage, it's been explained, hey, we're going to have a message God's given this person a message in tongues and we're gonna wait for an interpretation. So the person took the mic, spoke the word and to the pastor's um, commendation, I guess, we waited awkwardly for what felt like 20 minutes. It was probably 90 seconds. Hey, does anyone have an interpretation for that word? Does anyone, does anyone, does anyone? Bueller, Bueller. And the pastor said, hey, I don't think this is from God for us today. And we, and we moved on. 
which is commendable, except that Paul says there's something even more significant happening. He said, if you receive a corporate message in tongues that God has appointed for the entire body, you know if someone's present to interpret it before you even share it. And if no one's present to interpret it, don't share it at all. And and like this brings us back to Josh's sermon of good weird, bad weird. And and what, what Paul's laying out here is God is orderly in what he does. But order doesn't mean he conforms to your preferences or mine. Orderly, for God to be orderly and for us to be orderly as the people of God means that we submit to God's authority and we submit to God's ways, not that God submits to our preferences. I mean, this is is weird, but it's it's a good weird. I, I heard one commentator say this week, that the interpretation of tongues may be the most neglected gift in the body of Christ. I think I agree with him, so much so that I'm not even sure what that would look like for us to be faithful to God in this moment. Should we be the kind of people that are receptive and zealous to pursue everything that God has for us as his family? What would this even look like? And how would we even begin praying for God to raise up interpreters here? But if we're gonna be faithful to the if, What would it look like for you and for me just to start to pray basic, tiny, training wheels kind of prayers of faith of, hey, God, this is clear enough to me, even if I don't have a way I can wrap my mind around to understand how this would look. Would you give us all the fullness of all that you are for the edification of your body so that we can delight in you, glorify you, rest in you, and run in the fullness of everything you've appointed for us? Even if it's weird and we'll let you decide what's weird for us and it's a place I just simply pray for us at frontline of God how could we grow here how could we take steps to stand in the so what and however God wants to navigate that that we would be receptive to it and we would be orderly in what we do but not making God out of order but submitting ourselves to God such that what he appoints for us to do We walk in faithfully. That's the so what of tongues. Now we get to a thornier part of the passage, the so what of prophecy, specifically the so what of weighing of corporate words of prophecy. So what I wanna do is I wanna read verse 29 to 35 together with us all, and I hope unpack these verses in such a way that we can see Paul's giving simple instructions that are far less shocking and far less scandalous than some of us either believe or afraid that this passage might mean. So let's read together verses 29 to 35, and then we'll unpack them. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Some translations translate that word order. For God is not a God of confusion, but of order. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, there's, there's a lot going on here, but I want you to look at verse 29 and understand that Paul is making two statements here. 
Paul is saying, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Two distinct statements. And what he does in the verses that follow, in verses 30 to 33a, he unpacks the first half. Let two or three prophets speak. And in 33b to 35, he unpacks the second half or makes comments on the second half of let the others weigh what's being said. I say that and I'll repeat it again later because we need to understand that what Paul is saying about women isn't a shift as if he's adding another addition or talking about, oh yeah, and by the way, here's this application for women. He's talking specifically about the weighing or the discerning or the interpreting of corporate prophetic words. And I'll actually share that again with you. But he's talking about corporate prophecy. And it's important for me to just acknowledge this as a parenthesis. Most of the ways we experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit prophetically in our body is not from corporate prophetic words. It's from personal prayer and prophetic ministry in smaller groups of two, three, four, five, where as someone's praying for you, someone says things like, hey, as I prayed for you the whole time, this image, it seems like the Spirit of God has brought to my mind. Does that have any significance for you? Or verses the Spirit of God brings to mind, or words, or other themes. And then we get to weigh those person to person, right? It's not just that when Paul talks about weighing prophecy corporately, something different happens on one-to-one. The elders we're going to see are doing something corporately that we're expected to do one-on-one. If someone shares a prophetic word with you, you are to weigh it. You're just to, to process that through the lens of Scripture and think, does this accord with God's word? Does this accord with God's character? Does this actually check in my spirit? Because this isn't, this isn't the divinely inspired, inerrant word of God. This is a, a person who loves God and is laboring to serve him and dwelt by his spirit that's taking God's perfect word and imperfectly applying it to me. At weighing and discerning prophecy, we should do all the time. And I remember when I first became a Christian, the guy that taught me how to pray for other people and receive prayer from other people, he would say, and if someone shares with you a prophetic word that doesn't check out with the scriptures, just look at them and lovingly say to them, I do not receive that word. Brother, I do not receive that. Or he said, you could say to them, that doesn't bless me. Like whatever church way you want to add to it to go, hey, actually that doesn't seem like God at all. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about corporate, public, platformed prophetic language. And so now he gives us the same kind of order in verses 29 to 33a. He said, only two or three words should be shared. I mean, I could preach a sermon on what Paul's outlining for us in terms of restraint. There is this tendency I have when I experience God giving gifts to his people to bless other people where I'm like, why would we stop? Let's go till three o'clock in the afternoon. Let's just run through the next service. Let's keep going. But God loves us enough to say, hey, you get me face to face for eternity. When you're gathered together, there should be things done orderly, even for time's sake. I'm thankful for the restraint that's offered here. Two or three, they should go one at a time. There's a prophetic etiquette, Paul says, that should be in place, where if someone's sharing a word and someone else receives a word, that the first person can be quiet and let this other person go. Which again is in contrast to the pagan prophets that the people of Corinth would have known, where people would just stand up and blurt out 
ecstatic speech as if if you quiet this person down, you're going to quiet the Spirit of God. Paul says, no, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You can't scare the Holy Ghost away. You can actually receive gifts from the Holy Spirit and then wait to share them at an opportune time. what Paul's doing is he's saying, hey, there's an orderliness about what God, de- what God desires. He wants to bless and build up his body, and he wants the administration of his gifts to be coherent, not chaotic. He, again, he wants the goal to be edification, not ecstasy. God is orderly, but order is not God. And when it comes to prophetic words, just like tongues, order or peace in the body isn't God conforming to my preferences. It's me and you submitting to God's authority and to his preferences. Okay, now we come to the point of verses 33b to 35, which is the gulp in so many throats or the elephants in the room. And I want you to understand again, if you look back to verse 29, Paul's making two statements. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. In verses 30 to 33a, Paul provides commentary on the first statement. In verses 33b to 35, he provides commentary on the second statement. And and I want to say that because it's important for us to understand that Paul is making very specific instructions to women about how prophecy is to be weighed in the corporate gathering, not general statements to women about their participation in the worship service Generally speaking, let me say that again. Paul is making very specific statements about how women are to participate in the weighing of prophecy, not general statements about how women are to participate in the worship service at all. And let me just read to you. This is a a paragraph from Kathy Keller's really helpful short book entitled Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. She says this in the opening of her book. The charge of misogyny against Paul is unsupported even by a casual reading of the New Testament. Paul worked alongside women, deputized them to carry his letters, established house churches in their homes, and expected them to be full participants in the body of Christ with the gifts of the Spirit. Sadly, many people do not take time to, even, to make even a casual study of the words and deeds of Paul. So this charge, so easily disproven, lives on among the biblically less literate. Kathy Keller says, if you just listen to Paul, you'll understand almost immediately that Paul is not a misogynist. Paul's not trying to quiet women, subjugate women, put women down. He's actually calling men and women to operate in their uniquely glorious design to serve God's purposes on the earth together. Hey, but I understand. If if you're in this room and you're like, man, that is not the way I've experienced this text. I have other reasons to believe that Paul's doing weird things here. I understand it. I get it. And, And I have seen the church fail in clarity and fail in love and fail in execution of both clarity and love so many times that it makes sense to me why you're leaned back. I mean, in the nine, I watched heads hang and never come back up when we got to this portion of the text. But I'm actually really confident that even if it's awkward, God has really clear and beautiful gifts to give us here. But, but some of you are going, well, man, if, we, if you go back to chapter 11, verse 5, 
God's told women they can pray and prophesy in the church. And now we come to verse, you know, whatever of, of chapter 14, and Paul says they can't even speak at all. What gives? I, I get it. Except for the fact that Paul, two other times in our passage, has told groups of people to be silent. This isn't the first time that he says, hey, and these people should be silent. He said to two other groups that they should be silent. Look with me at verse 28 of chapter 14. Paul says, hey, if if God's given you a message in tongues, but there's no one to interpret, be quiet. And I don't think any of us are inclined to say, wait a minute, are you trying to tell me that if that, that person who speaks in tongues can never speak again ever in any other place in the church? No. Paul's saying in that moment, take the message that you believe God's given you but lacks a proper outlet for it to be expressed and remain silent. He says the same thing to people that had corporate prophetic words in verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Which, by the way, in verse 28 and in verse 30, in each of these groups, based on what Paul's done in chapter 11, women are presumed to be in these groups. So it's like, hey, church, men and women, if you believe God's given you a message in tongues, but nobody's there to interpret it, keep silent. Hey, church, men and women, if God's given you a word of prophecy to share with the body and he gives someone else a word, defer to them and be quiet. Let them talk. And now as he talks about the weighing of corporate prophecy, he says, hey, women, in this place, be quiet. Not comprehensively, not totally, but he says when it comes time to weighing, hey, is this what God says? Does this accord with God's word? Be quiet and listen to what Kevin DeYoung says to explain this in his book, Men and Women in the Church. He says, the command for women to be silent must be understood in context. Just as the command for the tongue speaker to keep silent does not forbid him from ever saying anything in the church, so the command for women to be silent does not assume that in all situations women cannot speak. The explicit situation in which women must be silent is where prophecies are being evaluated. Such evaluation would have involved teaching and the exercise of authority over the prophets, two activities Paul consistently denies to women. If women have questions regarding the weighing of prophecies, they should ask their husband at home, lest they violate the principle of submission and and disgrace themselves. Okay, a couple of things worth noting even there. Um... When DeYoung says that Paul Paul excludes teaching and the exercise of authority to women, what's assumed here is that Paul is looking to male elders to govern the church in this place. When it comes to arbitrating between different doctrines, making ethical decisions on the word of God, this is an activity that God has appointed for elders. You can read the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, and in Titus 1, and we have elders at Frontline. And this is one of those places where God says, hey, I've appointed men and women in the church for all kinds of purposes, and I've appointed that elders be limited to males, to qualified males. 
And we have men that are leading as elders in this church. So we don't have to like read this passage and go, well, how would we even figure that out? There's actually elders in our body that God has ordained and we have acknowledged to say, well, these are the men that God has appointed to lead our body. And then we have processes whereby we don't even have to get ourselves in a place where a prophetic word would be shared from a pulpit and then, you know, Dylan or someone else, Phil would have to come up and go, uh, actually we're gonna have an awkward moment because that's not from the Lord. I was in a church one time when someone just came up and took the mic and shared a prophetic word that was not, not congruent in any way with scripture. And the pastor, who was somewhat of a comedian, yelled from the back of the room, thus saith the Lord, that wasn't me. And then he walked up to the front in this awkward moment and said, man, brother, I love you. I bless you. I thank you for wanting to bless the people of God. But here's why that can't be from the heart of God. It actually is opposed to the word of God. Well, that's a moment Paul says, hey, when it comes time to weigh prophecies, the elders are to do that. And it's not to mean women can't speak at all. It means that when it comes to weighing prophetic words corporately, which we do as elders before they even come to the stage. So we've shared prophetic words from the pulpit here, and we do it fairly regularly at our benediction. We say, hey, before the service, someone had this word for us, and we share that then. That's already been weighed. We have a process. We're not just left to figure this out in the midst of chaos and turmoil with people being embarrassed and having their feelings hurt, which if you're in this place and you sense that you have a word that God has given you to bless and build up, because remember, that's the goal, all the body, find a pastor and share it with them. And they have a process where they're either gonna text message the person that's responsible for the benediction that day, or there's a way in which that can be weighed and prayed through in the moment. But that, that's what Paul means. And Paul actually anticipates um, a problem at Corinth where the women at Corinth could say, hey, we get it. We don't wanna be involved in weighing prophecy. We'll trust the elders to do that. We just have some questions we wanna ask the person sharing the prophetic word. But then they use questions to voice disagreements and, and thereby exercise authority and undermine someone instead of actually just receive the word. And Paul anticipates that and that's why he says, hey, ladies, if you have questions, talk to your husbands at home. And I realize there are people in our body saying, well, man, what about me? I'm not even married, so now I'm doubly excluded. But no, you're not. Because this isn't a place where someone's trying to push you under the corner. It's a place where someone's trying to welcome you to the table in a way that blesses you and blesses everyone at the body. If you're a woman and you're not married, ask your peers questions. Ask people in your community group questions. And as, the, as prophetic words are weighed publicly or discerned publicly, it frees you from having to be involved in that process. And you can say, hey, can you help me understand what they talked about? But this isn't about how you have to go home and be barefoot and quiet and only talk to the man that God's appointed over you. This is, this is a means God's given us where we could be blessed together. And though I realize this is such a thorny issue for us, I'm relatively confident that the Corinthians would have been way more bent out of shape by being told they could only prophesy and speak in tongues one at a time than they were to uphold actual cultural, you know, conformity in their day where they didn't have women undermining someone's husband in front of the whole group or undermining their own husband in front of the whole group. That's what Paul's trying to protect so that we could all be edified. And there's so much more that can be said here, but I just wanna say, let, let's come back and look at the main point 
in verse 28. That's a lie, it's in verse 26. Let everything be done for the building up. What Paul is doing under the authority of God is he's laying out processes for us where we can be obedient to bring the gifts of the Spirit into corporate worship and everyone be edified. And this is a place of like, well, man, that doesn't sound orderly at all. It sounds oppressive. Well, again, order doesn't mean my definition or my preferences. Order means submission to God's authority and God's protocols so we can walk together and receive everything he has for us, even if it is outside of what we think is normal. There's a ton more I want to say there, but I just I want to share with you a few questions that all of us should ask in the weighing of prophecy. Because even if prophecy is being formally or corporately weighed by elders publicly, I think all of us as the family of God should be equipped to weigh prophetic words to say, wait a minute, is that, is that in line with God's word? So here's just a couple of questions I've outlined for us to help weigh or discern prophecy. Is the speaker in control of themselves? Because if someone is ecstatic and wilding out, Paul tells us that like the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet themselves. Does a prophetic word submit to the Bible, align with the Bible, point to the Bible? Does a prophetic message glorify God? And I realize that glorifying God could be just dismissed as weird church speak, but what I mean when I say that is, does it place God at the gravitational center of the universe? Does it say everything revolves around him? Nothing is more weighty than him, significant than him, substantive than him. Nothing is more joyful than him. Does it point to him, evoke awe in him, like awaken love for him? That's what it means to glorify God. Is it spoken in love? Because if, if a, a word purports to be from God but denies or violates the ways of God, We've already seen from chapter 13, it will not support the work of God. Does it build up the church? Is the speaker submitted to the discernment of the elders? And again, back to Josh's categories from a few weeks ago, because I love them. Is it good weird or is it bad weird? And God's word tells us what's good weird and bad weird. And then does it build up? Now, Paul closes all this so what section in verses 36 to 40 by reminding the Corinthians of his apostolic authority. And it's not in a bullying way. I mean, on Father's Day, I think what's glorious for us is Paul is operating as a spiritual father with the Corinthians. He's saying to them, hey, remind me, by the way, where you heard the word of the gospel, which, of course, it was him that preached it to them. Hey, remind me, by the way, who else has heard this word? And, and Paul's reminding them that in all the churches of God, this is how the people of God were walking in the ways of God. And then he closes by saying, and if you're spiritual like you claim to be, then you'll acknowledge that what I'm saying to you is God's word. And then look how he finally lands the plane in verses 39 and 40. And think again about the propensity of tongues and prophecy to tear down instead of build up. Think about the margin for error we have. Think about all the time Paul has had to spend navigating the complexity produced by these gifts. You think if Paul is a pragmatist, he'd go, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, let's just not do this. Let's wait for Jesus to come back, you know, do your thing, and 
we'll, we'll sort this out later. No, in, in light of all the potential for problems, Paul says, earnestly desire these things. So, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, even though they cause problems, even though they cause discomfort. Because notice, Paul doesn't say that God is not a God of chaos, but a God of comfort. He's a God of order, his order. And sometimes his order is uncomfortable. But I promise you, I promise you, his order always blesses. His order always builds. His order is always good. So my question for us is, as we bring this like season in the pulpit to a close, how do we put gasoline on the fire of this season of our faith and our life together as the people of God? How can we look back as Frontline Church two years, five years, 10 years from now and talk about the ways in which our practices have been brought under the rule and reign of God as a result of this time in the Word of God? Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word, for your presence, for your gifts. And Father, would you help us navigate the gifts of your spirit in such a way that brings honor to you and to your son? I've, I've, I've been gripped all week long thinking about how the Corinthians loved the pursuit of the gifts to the neglect of loving other people. And I've been gripped, God, how in my own life, I love my own comfort to the neglect of pursuing the gifts and to the neglect of loving other people. Would you drive out anything from us that displaces love for you, for your name, for your word, for your will, for your works? God, would you conform us as your sons and daughters to your word? Would, would the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit be one of the primary ways we see our burden as a gender-redeeming church fulfilled and embodied? That the gifts of your Spirit would draw men and women together, not drive us apart. And Jesus, you are the supreme Lord over all that. So help us. Help us to hold fast to your word, I pray. In your name, living Jesus, amen.